The United States has again called on the warring parties in Sudan to put down their guns, but people living in the capital are reporting renewed exchanges of heavy artillery. Days of fighting between rival forces has killed almost 200 people and wounded 1,800. The capital, Khartoum, has seen airstrikes, shelling and heavy small arms fire. This is the latest footage coming out of the conflict, showing smoke rising as fighting takes place across the capital. People living there, Sudanese citizens, have been seeing this barrage of artillery fire lighting up the night sky in the capital, Khartoum. Uh, and it's all taking place. Uh, here's uh, a map that gives you a sense of the locations uh, in the northeast African country, ha which has a history of instability. Uh, the country fell under military rule in 2019 when the longtime leader Omar Bashir was toppled. The fighting is taking place between army units loyal to uh, the two generals. You can see them on the left. Mohamed Hamdan Dagalo, better known as Hemeti, is Sudan's deputy leader. He commands the RSF, that's a paramilitary force. And on the right, the de facto leader, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, both of them wanting to control Sudan's military. Let's go live to neighbouring Nairobi now and our correspondent Ferdinand Omondi. Um, Ferdinand, just give us a sense of the latest on the situation there. Yes, I've been following uh, tweets and posts from residents of Sudan, and a lot of them in Khartoum says they are barely able to sleep and that the shelling has increased tremendously. Uh, I saw one of them say in the past two hours there's been non-stop bombardment going on and lots of explosive hurt, and that one of her younger cousins has had to put on earplugs to stop uh, hear, uh, he hearing the noise. So looks like the situation has anticipated last night a ceasefire that was supposed to um, to be carried out for three hours was barely honoured and so for the uh, third consecutive day since the fighting started, the humanitarian groups have not been able to reach out to the most vulnerable and the numbers now are at least a thousand who are injured and in need of medical help close, that is just apart from the close to 200 who have now died. And I'm hearing even hospitals now, ambulances are unable to go to the hospitals and have declined to take patients there because some of them have been taken up by the militants. And Ferdinand, in terms of infrastructure, um, what is functioning and what isn't? For example, airports, train services, that sort of thing. Airport. The main airport was bombed. I saw pictures from the BBC's uh, open source intelligence team showing lots of planes which had been uh, set ablaze. Trains, uh, train lines have been shelled. A bridge that is connecting uh, one side of Khartoum and another was also blown up. And so basically, as it stands right now, transport is uh, virtually impossible in uh, most of, at least most of Khartoum. Down in uh, Darfur, there's heavy fighting. Uh, going on according to agencies and so not not much movement. The most dangerous thing right now for the people who are, who are afraid to go out even where there are roads is that there's heavy military presence and there's real chance of being caught with stray bullets. Now we're also even hearing some reports and the RSF has even confirmed this in some of their statements where civilians have been accosted in their own homes and assaulted although RSF is denying that these that been involved. They are accusing other militia who they say are wearing RSF uniform as a part of a propaganda war. So even in their hideouts, civilians are being targeted. And this 
the UN and the international community has been calling on the warring factions to at least respect uh, the civilian rights and the Vienna Convention. Okay, Ferdinand, thank you very much for the update. Ferdinand Amondi there, our correspondent, monitoring events uh, from neighbouring Nairobi. Well, in the past few hours, the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, made the call for a ceasefire in Sudan. He's already spoken on the phone to both of the warring generals in charge of the different factions. He was speaking at the G7 foreign ministers meeting that's been taking place in Japan. Uh, for the past 36 hours, we and our partners have been focused on how to stop the widespread fighting in Sudan between the Sudanese armed forces and the rapid support forces. Indiscriminate military operations have resulted in significant civilian deaths and injuries and are recklessly endangering the Sudanese people, diplomats, including U.S. personnel, and humanitarian aid workers. This morning, um, I made calls to uh, Generals uh, Burhan and Hamedi, urging them to agree to a 24-hour ceasefire to allow uh, Sudanese to safely reunite with their families and to obtain desperately needed relief supplies. I also underscored in both calls the responsibilities that Sudanese fighting forces bear for ensuring the safety and security of U.S. and other diplomats who are resident in Sudan, as well as for U.N. staff and other humanitarian partners. If implemented successfully, a ceasefire for 24 hours can create a foundation to build upon for a more sustained halt to fighting and a return to negotiations on a durable end to the hostilities. Let's go live to Seoul now and our correspondent, Jean McKenzie, who's following events at the G7 for us. And Jean, um, I mean, it's only just in the last few days that the situation in Sudan seems to have uh, erupted in the way that it has. And yet the comments by the U.S. Secretary of State on that matter have inevitably drawn a lot of the focus and attention at that meeting. Yeah, I think it was, um, you know, him revealing that he has actually spoken to the generals on both sides of the fighting, really, and urged them to, um, to enact this immediate ceasefire so that people can be reunited with their families and so people can get the food and the essential things that they need. And he was also very strongly saying that he had told the generals that they had to ensure the safety of civilians. He said that a, a U.S. convoy of diplomats had come under attack and that any attack on diplomats was, you know, he strongly, strongly rejected. We know that aid workers and diplomats have been caught up in this fierce fighting over the past few days that has now killed more than 100 people and injured more than 1,000. Mr Blinken was speaking after what he said was a mammoth meeting of G7 foreign ministers in Japan. Now, they are a meeting ahead of a G7 leaders summit that's taking place in Hiroshima next month. And the purpose of this three-day meeting was to set the agenda for that. So, as you might imagine, the war in Ukraine is top of that agenda. But also, it being held in Japan, which is the only Asian country in the G7, means that a spotlight has really been shone on some of the security issues here in Asia as well, particularly the threat that China is posing to Japan and the North Korean threat, you know, North Korea making huge advances with its nuclear weapons program. And so the leaders, the foreign ministers today, today all said that they were united in the face of these threats, the aggression from Russia, aggression from China and aggression from North Korea. They really were trying to show this united front ahead of this summit that's taking place next month.